Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of 15-Minute Devotional. This is an online video and podcast series for Akron Alliance Fellowship Church in Akron, Ohio, and for viewers on Facebook and YouTube and listeners to Melvin Gaines' Faith Channel. My name is Melvin Gaines. This program encourages viewers and listeners to get into God's Word and stay in God's Word with consistency as you learn and grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In this particular program, we're going to be covering the reading, the daily reading for Wednesday, July 26, 2023. That's July 26, 2023. Our, pro, our church encourages the two-year Bible reading plan, which allows for the reader to cover the entire Bible over a two-year period, In this devotional here, our program presents the passages for today, today's reading, and then we make some verbal notes and comments about the content as we go. Now, when you do your own reading of the two-year Bible reading plan, it would normally cover about a seven to ten minute period of time of reading the Bible, followed by a five to eight minute period of time of reflection on what you've read, and then you would close out in prayer. This routine takes about 15 minutes a day, and that's why we call this program the 15-Minute Devotional. We encourage all participants to follow this pattern as they develop the best habits for reading, studying, and meditating on God's Word. Of course, you can read more than 10 minutes a day if you desire, but for those who have time constraints, those who have schedules that demand a lot of different things taking place, a 15-Minute Devotional helps establish good habits every day. Today's verses that we're going to be covering, and it's going to be uh, essentially the very close to what the original plan is for the two-year Bible plan for Wednesday, July 26th. It's going to be Joshua chapter 9, verse 1, verses, and go through all the way to chapter 10, verse 15, Luke chapter 16, verses 10 through 18, Psalm 83, verses 1 to 8, and Proverbs chapter 20. Uh, Proverbs 20, verses 2 and 3. Two and three. So that's going to be what we're going to cover for today's reading. And we appreciate you being here very much. And while we get ready to get into the Word and look at what it says very quickly, let's go ahead and look to the Lord with a word of prayer, and we'll get started. Father, we thank you again for this time you've set aside for us to go over your Word, to read it, reflect upon it, study it, and meditate on it, and allow the Spirit to speak throughout the entire process. We thank you, Lord, for this time that you've given us, and we give you all the praise and thanks in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, everybody, turn your Bibles and electronic devices to Joshua chapter 9. Joshua 9, we're going to start with verse 1. And if you were actually looking at the actual two-year Bible reading plan, it would actually start at verse 3. But for the sake of continuity and knowing what we're reading, and since we break these up over a period of time, We're going to cover verse 1 of Joshua 9, just to start with the chapter. And actually the heading is referring to the Gibeonite deception, so we need to see all of that context. And take it all the way through to chapter 10, verse 15, uh, to conclude. And we'll not stop at verse 11, we'll keep going to verse 15 in chapter 10. So Joshua 9, let's start with that, verse 1. And we're going to read through to Joshua 10, verse 15. So starting with Joshua 9, verse 1, all of our readings are in the New Living Translation. Please follow along in your own version. Now all the kings west of the Jordan River heard about what had happened. 
These were the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites who lived in the hill country in the western foothills and along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea as far north as the Lebanon mountains. Verse 2, these kings combined their armies to fight as one, one against Joshua and the Israelites. Verse 3, but when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to deception to save themselves. They sent ambassadors to Joshua, loading their donkeys with weathered saddlebags and old patched wineskins. They put on worn out patched sandals and ragged clothes, and the bread they took with them was dry and moldy. Verse 6. When they arrived at the camp of Israel at Gilgal, they told Joshua and the men of Israel, We have come from a distant land to ask you to make a peace treaty with us. The Israelites replied to these Hivites, How do we know you don't live nearby? For if you do, we cannot make a treaty with you. They replied, We are your servants. But who are you? Joshua demanded. Where do you come from? They answered, Your servants have come from a very distant country. We have heard of the might of the Lord your God and all of all he did in Egypt. We have also heard what he did to the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, King Sihon of Heshbon and King Og of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth. So our elders and all our people instructed us, take supplies for a long journey, go meet with the people of Israel and tell them, we are your servants, please make a treaty with us. This bread was hot from the ovens when we left our homes, but now, as you can see, it is dry and moldy. These wineskins were new when we filled them, but now they are old and split open, and our clothing and sandals are worn out from our very long journey. So the Israelites examined their food, but they did not consult with the Lord. Consult the Lord. Then Joshua made a peace treaty with them and guaranteed their safety, and the leaders of the community ratified their agreement with a binding oath. Three days after making the treaty, they learned that these people actually lived nearby. The Israelites set out at once to investigate and reached their towns in three days. The names of these towns were Gibeon, Kephara, Beerath, and Kiriath-Jerim. Verse 18, But the Israelites did not attack the towns, for the Israelite leaders had made a vow to them in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. The people of Israel grumbled against their leaders because of the treaty. But the leaders replied, Since we have sworn an oath in the presence of the Lord, the God of Israel, we cannot touch them. This is what we must do. We must let them live, for divine anger would come upon us if we broke our oath. Let them live. So they made them woodcutters and water carriers for the entire community, as the Israelite leaders directed. Joshua called together the Gibeonites and said, Why did you lie to us? Why did you say that you live in a distant land when you live right here among us? May you be cursed. From now on, you will always be servants who cut wood and carry water for the house of my God. They replied, we did it because we, your servants, were clearly told that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you this entire land and to destroy all the people living in it. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you. That is why we have done this. Now we are at your mercy. Do to us whatever you think is right. Verse 26, So Joshua did not allow the people of Israel to kill them, 
But that day he made the Gibeonites the woodcutters and water carriers for the community of Israel and for the altar of the Lord, wherever the Lord would choose to build it. And that is what they do to this day. Okay, let's move over to chapter 10, and we're going to read down to verse 15. And the heading in my Bible says, The sun stands still. And that's what we're going to cover in this reading as well, too. Joshua chapter 10, verse 1. Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had captured and completely destroyed Ai and killed its king, just as he had destroyed the town of Jericho and killed its king. He also learned that the Gibeonites had made peace with Israel and were now their allies. He and his people became very afraid when they heard all this because Gibeon was a large town, as large as the royal cities and larger than Ai, and the Gibeonite men were strong warriors. So King Adonai Zedek of Jerusalem sent messengers to several other kings, Hoham of Hebron, Hebron, excuse me, Purim of Jarmuth, Japhia of Lachich, and Debir of Eglon. Verse 4, Come and help me destroy Gibeon, he urged them, for they have made peace with Joshua and the people of Israel. So these five Amorite kings combined their armies for a united attack. They moved all their troops into place and attacked Gibeon. The men of Gibeon quickly sent messengers to Joshua at his camp in Gilgal. Don't abandon your servants now, they pleaded. Come at once, save us, help us. For all the Amorite kings who live in the hill country have joined forces to attack us. So Joshua and his entire entire army, including his best warriors, left Gilgal and set out for Gibeon. Verse 8, Do not be afraid of them, the Lord said to Joshua, for I have given you victory over them. Not a single one of them will be able to stand up to you. Joshua traveled all night from Gilgal and took the Amorite armies by surprise. The Lord threw them into a panic, and the Israelites slaughtered great numbers of them at Gibeon. Then the Israelites chased the enemy along the road to Beth Horon, killing them all the, along the way to Azekah and Makeda. Verse 11, as the Amorites retreated down the road from Beth Horon, the Lord destroyed them with a terrible hailstorm from heaven that continued until they reached Azekah. The hail killed more of the enemy than the Israelites killed with the sword. On the day the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites, Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all the people of Israel. He said, let the sun stand still over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of Ajalon. Verse 13, so the sun stood still and the moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated his enemies, its enemies. Is this event not recorded in the book of Jashar? The sun stayed in the middle of the sky and it did not set as on a normal day. There has never been a day like this one before or since when the Lord answered such a prayer. Surely the Lord fought for Israel that day. Then Joshua and the Israelite army returned to their camp at Gilgal. Okay, that is Joshua chapter 9. That's pretty much all of chapter 9. And then the first 15 verses of chapter 10. And what is our takeaway from this? First of all, we recognize that the the Gibeon, the people of Gibeon, the Gibeons who had heard about the victories of Israel and the fact that uh, there was just, frankly, folklore behind Joshua and the people of Israel that they indeed were going to be given the land and people had done those very things people had recognized those very things had taken place 
and had seen the victories and had seen that indeed God was with Israel. Why do you think the Gibeonites, though, chose to lie essentially about their position, who they were, and went to Joshua and asked for a peace treaty? Well, fear of dying will make you do things that you really shouldn't be doing. Uh, let's start with that. They did recognize that indeed that uh, the Lord did indeed have uh, favor, Joshua and the Israelites. And for whatever reason, the Gibeonites, from what we can tell, they were representing the world, the flesh, and perhaps even representing the devil himself. Because understand something, if the Lord is giving all of this land over to the Israelites, these people weren't living right, they weren't doing right, they weren't acting right, they really weren't following the Lord. But there's nothing like the fear of dying that will make you do things to try to turn those matters around. But you have to understand that the Gibeonites decided, frankly, that they were going to defect. They weren't going to be part of this group of people who were over in this land. And they went ahead and just decided to try to deceive them. They were trying to be clever. They were trying to, you know, make their their wineskins look like they were worn out. And, and, and they did do that. They made them look that way. But they did so with deceit. The clothing being all worn out, thinking that they had come from a long distance when they, in fact, had just come from a short distance away. And honestly, they pretty much cost themselves uh, any opportunity for being anything beyond servants for the rest of their time because uh, based upon what had happened, and one thing that I did want to point out, <clears throat> that perhaps even as they were being deceived about making a peace treaty, one of the things I did notice that was that they did not consult the Lord about what had happened. Back in verse 14 of Joshua chapter 9, the Israelites examined the food of the uh, Gibeonites, but they didn't consult the Lord. If they had consulted the Lord and probably asked him uh, about what was happening, they probably would have gotten a real scoop right away from God saying, hey, these guys are, are pulling your leg. They're not really being truthful. But the fact that they made an oath, remember there's something that's very important about when you make an oath and make a uh, uh, an oath with the Lord, you better keep that oath. And that's exactly what took place. So, in fact, at the end of the chapter, we recognize that the Gibeonites would be now the woodcutters and water carriers for all of Israel for for as long as they would be around. And that's exactly what was taking place as of this day. They determined their fate because they were deceitful. They decided to try to deceive uh, Joshua, and they succeeded in that. And they made an oath, uh, the, the Israelites made an oath to not destroy the Gibeonites, but they relegated themselves to being servants, right? I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Over to chapter 10, a uh, very quick summary here is that, again, the Lord uh, was keeping his word with the Israelites, saying that these people were not going to be able to stand up to you, they were going to be destroyed, and it even got to the point where even after... They went into battle with these kings and the armies. Uh, Joshua and the Israelites uh, wiped them out. And if that didn't do it, the hailstorms did. So it was a very, very intense thing that took place. Um, again, these people weren't living right. They weren't honoring the Lord. They weren't respecting the Lord. And that's exactly what was taking place here. So the fact that when Joshua made the prayer... In on verse 12 of chapter 10 about letting the sun stand still over Gibeon 
and the moon over the valley of Ajalon, that was until such time that the Lord made uh, sure that the victory would be finally completed uh, within Gibeon. And I want to read verses 14. I want to read verse 14 one more time here just for emphasis because this is for the reader to understand about what God was doing for the people of Israel. And that's what that's the emphasis here. There has never been a day like this one before or since when the Lord answered such a prayer, answered Joshua's prayer about making the sun stand still, sun not setting for a period of time. Surely the Lord fought for Israel that day. Emphasis on that. We need to recognize that because Joshua remained obedient, remained uh, obedient to what God's word was, he was the leader of Israel. He did exactly what God had instructed him to do. He went ahead, go ahead, you take this land. This land is yours. I have committed it to you. Um, and he did so knowing full well that everybody who was in that land, who was occupying that land or possessing that land, they were not following God. They were not being obedient to him. That's why they were utterly and completely destroyed. Let's be clear about this. We, This is not an arbitrary thing that God just said, okay, you can just take this land and get rid of these people. You have to understand that God, we, we serve a God of justice. We serve a God of fairness. We serve a God of justice. He is not going to be arbitrary in what he is offering here. He is saying that these people, because they're not honoring me, I'm going to reject them. And they have been rejected. And that's why uh, Joshua was able to occupy and take over those lands that were given to them. So I challenge you and encourage you to do reading on your own as far as what is being said here. Because there's much more to this for the sake of time. We want to move on here. But we want to encourage you. As you do your studies to spend time with looking at the commentaries and looking at these things that you're reading for greater understanding. I promise you, the more you go into God's word, the more you look at it and you go back over it, you're going to learn something from it. You're going to have a new takeaway. And that's why you do the regular readings. And you don't just do the readings for a period of a year or two years and then stop reading. You go back over these readings over again, get back into the plan over and over again, and see how much you can learn as you go. Amen? All right, let's go to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, we're going to look at verses 10 through 18. And this is a continuation within the reading. Um, and Jesus is telling a number of parables. But I want you to pick up verses 10 through 18. And in, in these sections of Scripture, a lot of parables are, are being spoken by Jesus. And, of course, the parables are going to be something that the people of God, the people who follow Jesus and understand Jesus, are going to understand those parables. And the people who don't care for him or don't want to follow him, they won't understand it. And that is the thing that uh, even Jesus declares it was so good that God allowed for this to happen. The words that are being spoken, those who really believe will understand them. Those who don't, they won't have any idea what's being said. So let's start with verse 10, Luke chapter 16. These are all the words of Jesus. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. Verse 11, and if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will you trust with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other, 
You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Let's go to verse 14. The Pharisees, who dearly loved their money, heard all this and scoffed at him. Then he said to them, You like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your hearts. What this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. Until John the Baptist, the law, the Moses, and the the messages of the prophets were your guides. But now the good news of the kingdom of God is, is preached and everyone is eager to get in. But that doesn't mean that the law has lost its force. It is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the smallest point of God's law to be overturned. Verse 18. For example, a man who divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery. And anyone who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Now, I need to go back and make sure uh, to cover these passages here very quickly. First of all, the first section of Luke chapter 16, verse the first part we read, verses 10 through 13. Of course, you know, the audience is there, right? There's an audience of people, and of course, that includes the Pharisees. And sometimes the words that Jesus uses is to basically make a point and, and essentially point this finger at those who oppose him with his words because they have an understanding of certain things. But remember, God knows about every person in the audience that he's speaking to, and, he, and that includes everyone who's reading his word. Amen? He knows a way to get to you right to the quick if there's something involved here in the passage that uh, really has an impact on you. And what is he saying here in the first section of Luke chapter 16, verses 10 through 13? He's saying about, you know, he's talking about being faithful in little things, faithful in large ones. There's responsibilities involved if you are involved with more. But at the end of the day, you have to understand that if you're not faithful with things, then why should you be given more? Why should you acquire more? Why should you have more? But the point he was making here in verse 13, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, for you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Now, this, of course, applies to all of us who struggle with this concept. Uh, A lot of people, uh, you know, the more and more as time goes along, more and more people trust God less and perhaps trust money or what it provides for you even more. Uh, You can't worship God and money, and I believe that with all my heart because it's absolutely true. You're going to be very, very convicted to do whatever you can if you really love money to do more to get it the more to hang on to it but god's going to be completely in the background and won't be relevant to you and i think that that's important for us to see here um and so the pharisees you know got all up in arms about that and they scoffed about it but jesus came back and said the very key words here god knows all the hearts he knows the hearts of those individuals what you think is precious in this world is detestable in the sight of God, as in verse 15. Remember, your works are like filthy rags. That's something we read about uh, in the Old Testament as well, too. The things that you do and the things that you uh, think are special are not special at all. What's really special is your devotion and the, the worship and the praise you have for the Lord Jesus Christ and living in such a manner that you are honoring him. And that's important for us to see here, too. And he makes a a point here is that God's law 
is going to be, it still remains his law. It is still his law, even though we're talking about a new covenant, a new gospel being preached. The law is still present because Jesus is the fulfillment of that law. And then we have this passage about divorce and remarriage. And understand that he's speaking to an audience of people uh, at that time who very freely would just divorce someone and remarry and just say, I don't like you, I'm going to divorce you. Well, he's now putting in place what are essentially regulations behind what behind what God has to say about divorce and remarriage. And remember, you know, Moses put in place this whole idea of granting divorces because, frankly, the people that were involved in these uh, relationships were very hard-hearted. They were very self-focused, very self-centered. What does that compare to? This whole thing about what money is. This whole thing about how you're very self-centered when it comes to money. You're very self-centered when it comes to, you know, your attitudes and who, frankly, you want to associate with. These are all things that are not what God would have a person to do. A believer in the Lord Jesus Christ needs to be faithful to Jesus. Live in such a manner where you're honoring him. And in all the aspects of your life, when it comes to money, when it comes to finances, when it comes to understanding what God would have you to do, being obedient to his word, when it comes to marriage and divorce, these are all things we need to pay attention to when it comes to honoring the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, we are people who are hard-hearted. Yes, we are people who, frankly, need his forgiveness all the time. But we need to make sure that we understand that when God tells us something, he does mean it. It does stand for something. It does represent something. And that's what he's trying to tell the Pharisees here as well, too. Um, your hearts are not right for God. Therefore, you're going to treasure your finances, your wealth, much more than you are the Lord. And and may we see that as a lesson for us as well, too. Um, again, get into the study. Look at this more and more. What are you doing with your money? Are you making money? Is that something that you're putting as much more important than perhaps everybody else? Relationships, families, God himself. Pay attention to those things, everyone. You can't serve God and serve mammon or serve money. Amen. All right, let's go to Psalm 83. Moving along beautifully. Psalm 83, verses 1 through 8. Psalm 83, verses 1 through 8. Verse 1. A song, a psalm of Asaph. O God, do not be silent, do not be deaf, do not be quiet, O God. Don't you hear the uproar of your enemies? Don't you see that your arrogant enemies are rising up? They devise crafty schemes against your people. They conspire against your precious ones. Come, they say. Let us wipe out Israel as a nation. We will destroy the very memory of its existence. Yes, this was their unanimous decision. They signed a treaty as allies against you. These Edomites and Ishmaelites, Moabites and Hagrites, Gebelites, Ammonites and Amalekites, and people from Philistia and Tyre. Verse 8, Assyria has joined them too and is allied with the descendants of Lot. Okay, and and this is essentially a section of Psalms. Again, we, when we go do these readings, we kind of jump into a place where there's continuing thoughts and all that. But this was the reading for today. But this is referring to those individuals who had plotted destruction of the nation of Israel. And we need to see that this took place even during the time 
um, this psalm was during the time of Jehoshaphat and others, and, and, and we have to recognize that the enemies of God not are not just coming against him, but they're expressing their hatred for God. And we can even translate that into, <clears throat> excuse me, a hatred of God's people as well, too. Is this relevant to today? Of course it is. Uh, there's relevance to today from the standpoint that there are people out there who just hate God, oppose God. And sadly, as the time has gone on, and this is prophetic as well, if you look at God's word, there are fewer and fewer people who believe in God, fewer and fewer people who um, remain faithful to God when it comes to his word, believe that his word is relevant for our lives. And there, the extreme is going to be those who oppose God as well. So we recognize that there comes a point where these different nations, especially when I, the Amalekites really jumped out at me because those are people who have a reputation of hating God and God had decreed he was going to wipe the Amalekites out. And the Amalekites to this day do not exist. So you have to understand that this is a very significant thing for us to recognize. We know that God uh, protects his people when they are faithful to him, when they look to him and trust in him and believe in him. He does protect them. That was pretty much how the entire uh, remainder of Joshua and Judges, the book of Judges that follows it, that was the pattern that was taking place. But we, as we know, though, as time has gone on and time would go on as you read through the book of Joshua and Judges, you're going to see how the people became more and more unfaithful. They did, uh, you know, if you go back at the end of the book of Judges, the people did what was right in their own eyes. So the people are responsible for their own behaviors and what happens because they turned away from God, that the enemies would gain a foothold over them. But once they recognized God and stood behind, stood firmly with him, um, they need to, in fact, recognize that God was going to um, bless them, protect them, and keep them. But And their enemies would be overcome. But the more they went away from God, they were going to be subject to ruination. And I think that that's the lesson we need to see here. So the prayers were out there. God, don't be quiet. Don't be don't be deaf. Let, please listen to us, what we're saying. They, we know about the enemy. We hear about the enemy. They're coming. Lord, helps us, protect us, and keep us. The demonstration of that, of course, was what we just read in the book of Joshua, chapter 9 and chapter 10, about what happens because the Lord um, truly decreed and said that he would take care of the enemies of Joshua and the people who were in, the Israelites. And that's what, exactly what he did. The Lord stands behind his word. He makes those things happen. And in fact, he just shows us how faithful he is. We are, we lack faith, but God is faithful. He, he stands behind his word. And frankly, he does so even when we are not deserving of his goodness and his graciousness. So please keep that in mind as you do these studies and as you reflect upon these words. Remember how faithful God truly is to his word he has never failed he has never left us hanging out to dry he has never forsaken us as a people that believe in him may we continue to have that way of thinking as we go final part of our reading for the day is proverbs 20 verses 2 and 3 proverbs 20 verses 2 and 3 and what do you get there proverbs 20 verses 2 and 3 and again, just as a reminder for everyone who participates in this program, we appreciate you being here. We love that you're here. 
But we really encourage you to not just listen to this uh, study, but get into the Word yourself and do your own reading and studying. That's what this is all about. Hopefully this encourages you to do that. Okay. Verses 2 and 3 of Proverbs 20. The king's fury is like a lion's roar. To rouse his anger is to risk your life. Avoiding a fight is a mark of honor. Only fools insist on quarreling. Many times the Proverbs talk about what it is to live in wisdom and live in foolishness. And it gives you examples of what, uh, word pictures of what that truly means when we live in that manner. And it gives us these comparatives because we need to understand that Frankly, because we live in the flesh, there are times when we are wise when we pay attention to what God is telling us and listening, listening to what he has to say to us. And there are times when we are very foolish. We don't follow his wisdom. We don't take his advice. And that can cause problems. Verse 2 again, the king's fury is like a lion's roar. To rouse his anger is to risk your life. You don't ever want to get on the bad side of a king or somebody who's in leadership or authority because it could cost you your life. That's what was being said here uh, as far as wisdom uh, being directed to young men, of course, but it actually applies to all of us as well, too. Be wise. Be smart about your interactions with people, especially those in authority. Um, that can preserve you and keep you. It may not cost you your life if you have trouble today with something like that, but it could cause you a lot of problems if you have problems with authority in your life. And that's what a lot of people have. They have trouble with authority. It's bad news when you get involved on the wrong side of authority. Whether you perceive that person to be right or wrong has nothing to do with this. It's about authority issues and making sure you're paying attention to that. And verse 3, avoiding a fight is a mark of honor. Only fools insist on quarreling. This is about making sure that when it comes time to shut your mouth, you shut your mouth. You don't get into fights with people. That's not what believers in the Lord Jesus Christ should be doing. We don't act as the world acts. We, you can see videos on online all the time about people getting into conflicts and, you know, you know, playing the dozens, trying to one up somebody else. Well, that's not even. It's not smart <laughs> to do that. Um, and those are things that you want to make sure that you're not doing. There's a few songs out there. I'm not going to get into what they are, but. Even in, in history that talk about the moment you keep talking about somebody or trying to pick a fight with someone, you better be sure you can beat them because if you don't, they might get you. Um, so you don't keep getting into a fight. You don't get into those discussions with people. You respectfully back out. You stay, stay back out of something like that. Um, avoiding a fight is a mark of honor. It's smart to do so. It's wise to do so. It's preserving yourself in doing so and keeping yourself out of trouble. Um, people will sometimes take the bait and fall for what Satan puts in front of them. You don't take that bait. You stay out of that. If somebody calls you a coward or somebody calls you a chicken, so what? You stayed out of a fight. That's the most important thing. And, you know, you put your macho aside. You put those things aside and you don't allow yourself to get drawn into those things. Because that's how you honor the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not doing it just for your own pride or the sake of your own ego. Jesus is at stake here. The testimony of Jesus is always at stake. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence today. Lord, we ask that you just bless this time now as we remain focused on you and the word. And we give you praise and thanks for all of these things. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thanks for joining me for this 
week's 15-minute devotional. We appreciate you being here. Um, For more information about our church, Akron Alliance Fellowship Church in Akron, Ohio, uh, go to our website, akronalliance, all one word, dot O-R-G. And we appreciate you being here. And don't forget Melvin Gaines' faith channel, melvingaines.com. Take care of yourselves. God bless you. And we'll see you next time.